The message is entitled, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are so essential for the life of the believer and the church, yet for the most part, believers are ignorant and very confused about them as you talk to different individuals, depends their denomination and everything else. Now, this is not to say that we have all the answers. We are searching the scriptures and we believe what we're teaching here is accurate. We're trying to look at it in its context, in the verification of scripture, interpreting scripture as we move through this whole series. Every so often I do this series because of the different number of people that come into the church that are new. Even though we do this series in the New Believers and in all the other ministries are taught because we want to make sure whoever serves understands the gifts of the Holy Spirit because that's what makes us able to serve as well as the baptism. So I want to begin this series with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in order that we see its importance and its link to the gifts for the believer in the church. Some people object to the term the baptism of the Holy Spirit saying that it's not... Um, um, biblical or such thing, but yet Jesus is the one who uses it as well as John the Baptist. In Matthew 3, 11 and Acts 1, 5, Jesus says the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and John the Baptist says the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Others reject the very doctrine because of the abuse and the misuse they have seen by the operation of the Holy Spirit in extreme Pentecostal movements. And some of you have seen some of the television theatrics and all that. You have Benny Hinn, you know, throwing the Holy Spirit and all this kind of stuff and slain in the Spirit and all this stuff. And though I have no doubt that God can do things like that, I don't see any biblical precedence for it. So whatever we practice, we must be able to say this is that which the Scriptures teach. Not experience, but in context. And still others think the doctrine is to be obsolete just because of their dispensational experience. And they believe it was only for the apostolic age and the gifts ceased after the apostolic age. Well, there's no biblical evidence or any contextual teaching of that. It's simply just an intellectual conclusion based on their denominational dispensationalism. Therefore, let's look at the Holy Spirit from five perspectives which will reveal to us the baptism of the Holy Spirit and its relationship to the gifts. So we're not going to study any gifts. We'll mention some. But we want to see the baptism and the relationship of the gifts to it. And that's going to be the foundation as we move to the gifts. Five things. First, we want to look at the promise of the Holy Spirit. Second, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Third, the pattern of the Holy Spirit. Fourth, the privilege of the Holy Spirit. And fifth, the partner of the Holy Spirit. And we'll take one by one, so if you miss them, we're going to go one at a time. Let's begin with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit was given by Jesus to his disciples. Listen to what he says. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. John fourteen sixteen. The Father would send the Holy Spirit as the request of Jesus. The first part. Jesus would request that to the Father. The Father would give them another comforter. That verse says also, secondly. 
And the word another means another of the same kind like Jesus, but another in numerical difference. In other words, Jesus is the second person, the gift of the Spirit is the third person. Okay? The same kind, they're both God, but a different number. God the Father's first, God the Son's second, God the Holy Spirit's third. Okay? Very clear in the Greek. And the word helper, parakletos, means one to come alongside, to help you do the work. He doesn't do the work for you, apart from you, but he does the work in you and through you in co-participation with you. The Holy Spirit would then abide with them forever, it says there in John 14, 16, the third thing. In contrast, now many people use this verse, one of the verses, for eternal security. Look, it says the Holy Spirit will abide with you forever. Simple principle. Context. Here's the context. The contrast is to Jesus, who would only be here for 33 years through the incarnation. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit would be here forever. So the context is, I left heaven to come here for a while. I'm going to be leaving. He's being sent from heaven. He'll never leave. That's not eternal security. It's a description of what's going to happen in contrast to his ministry. The ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Context, context, context. Jesus said again, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So, the Holy Spirit here is stated to do certain things. The promise of the Holy Spirit has many synonymous names. Jesus called it the promise from on high in Luke 24, 49. Promise from on high. Jesus called it the promise of the Father in Acts 1, 4. Peter at Pentecost identified the Holy Spirit with receiving from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 33. Jesus called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1, 5. Luke calls it the filled, filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and when Paul received it, Acts 2, 4 and 9, 17. Luke calls it receiving the Holy Spirit at Samaria, Acts 8, 17. Peter calls it the gift of the Holy Spirit at the house of Cornelius, Acts 10, 45 and Luke eleven thirteen. And Luke calls it the Holy Spirit fell on them both at Samaria and Cornelius' house in Acts 8.16 and 10.44. All of those phrases speak of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All those different phrases. So, this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is next. Jesus declared a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament, all the saints were endowed with the Holy Spirit? No. Not everybody. We're going to see it is true in the New Testament. 
Only those who were called for service, like Aholiab and Baziel for the building of the tabernacle in Exodus 31 through 6, God anointed them for that work. The Spirit came upon them, filled them. For leadership, Moses, Joshua, David, kings, priests, and prophets, they were anointed for their ministry. Deuteronomy 34, 9, 1 Samuel 16, 13. Also for prophets, for prophecy and proclaiming God's word, such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Habakkuk, Amos, so on and so forth. The Holy Spirit came upon them so they could speak forth the word of God or declare future things. Jeremiah 1.9 says, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. One of many phrases, the word of the Lord came to me. The Spirit of the Lord said, and many phrases like that indicate there was a Spirit of God coming upon the person at a set time for a set purpose. But the rest of the people of the Old Testament, the average Israeli, did not have the Holy Spirit in them. Never are, did they have the Holy Spirit in them. So there's a big distinction. The Lord Jesus described a threefold relationship with the Holy Spirit with the new believer, the New Testament believer. The Holy Spirit would be with them, Acts fourteen seventeen, as I read. He will be with you. He would be their lifelong companion, the one who comes alongside to help them do the work and be ever-present. Then secondly, the Holy Spirit would be in them. He will be with you. He shall be in you. The Greek word, en. That means that every person who's born again, the Holy Spirit comes in them and their body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. The minute you're born again, the Spirit of God comes in you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So there's with, in, and the third preposition is a pawn or a P. He would come upon you. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you accept Christ Jesus and the Spirit comes in you, that makes you the bride of Christ. That seals you, the seal of the Holy Spirit. It could be translated the engagement ring, like a deposit. When you give a girl an engagement ring, you're saying, I'll be back for the rest of it at the wedding. It's, an, it's, a, it's a down payment, okay, an engagement ring. But that third one, upon, Jesus said, Terry and Jerusalem, do you be endued with power from on high? The word at P, Acts 1.8. This is what Jesus called the baptism of the Holy Spirit by his own words. At Pentecost, they spoke with various dialects. Dialectos is the Greek word. The people present, it's listed for them, all the different dialects. And they spoke the wonderful works of God. Not in tongues. The word there is dialectos. Dialects. If you go to Mexico, you have a lot of Indian dialects. They're so different that they can't understand one to the other. You go to the Philippines, you have many dialects within the same language. In English, you just have accents or that from the east, the west, the south. Okay? But they have dialects. This is the word in Acts 2. They did not speak in the gift of tongues. They spoke in dialects. And many people teach wrongly Acts chapter 2. But we'll see that as we move along. 
The disciples were threatened not to speak in the name of Jesus, if you remember, in Acts 4.31. So they prayed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit again and they spoke the word with boldness. One of the terms for the baptism, they were filled with the Spirit again. They had just been filled, baptized at Pentecost. Now they were baptized, filled again. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time experience. But we're to be filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit as often as we need to. Ephesians 5.18, keep on being on, being filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus declared the coming of the Holy Spirit to replace his leaving. Jesus would not leave them as orphans, John 14, 18. The picture cannot be missed. An orphan is one that doesn't have a father or a mother. I will not leave you like that. I'm going to give you another comforter, the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus would come to them through the Holy Spirit, he said in John 14, 18, the second part of that. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit would testify and glorify him, not himself. John 15, 26 and 16, 24. The Holy Spirit is a silent witness to Jesus Christ. He makes his word alive. He brings things to our remembrance. He only speaks what Jesus says. And he never speaks about himself. He never draws attention to himself. And when people start bringing more attention to the Holy Spirit than Jesus Christ, be careful. Because the Holy Spirit does not do that. He's the silent witness of Jesus. Jesus said it was absolutely necessary and beneficial that he go away for the Holy Spirit to come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment in John 16, 7, and 8. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that saves people, convicts them. Brings them to Christ. You and I are instruments, but he's the one that does, does the real work. Jesus declared the disciples needed power and would be, receive it through the Holy Spirit. The disciples were to wait for the promise of the Father, which they had heard of him in Acts 1-4. Remember, Jesus was with them for 40 days, right? Speaking about the things of the kingdom. And then he went out to Mount of Olives and he left. And, and the angel said, why are you guys stand here gazing at him? He's going to come back the same way. Ten days later, the day of Pentecost. Terry and Jerusalem, do you be endued with power, dunamis, from on high. The baptism. A pea, a pawn, the baptism, the filling, the promise of the Father. They're all synonymous terms for the baptism. The disciples will receive power. Upon them. The disciples would be witnesses to Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8 says. Indicating the example of life that is pleasing to Jesus and the Father who sees all things. It doesn't mean to just be witness for Jesus. You shall be witnesses unto me. He sees our life that it's a witness to him. That we are real. That we are living trusting him. And then we may witness for him at times, but we're witnesses to him first. Without that power, you and I cannot be witnesses to him. We will be hypocrites. He makes that possible. The natural result is a witness to the community by their lives as light 
and salt, as Matthew 5, 13 and 14 says. The giving of a defense to everyone for the reason of the hope that lies in us with meekness and fear. As they ask questions, 1 Peter 3, 15. So we are witnesses for him, but first we are witnesses to him. If I'm not a witness to him, my witness for him is not acknowledged. He'll use it, but it means nothing to him. The most important thing is my witness to him. Then my witness for him is effective. The vertical first, the horizontal second. Now Jesus directed his church and continues to direct his church by the Holy Spirit. He directed Peter and John to heal the man at the gate called Beautiful in Acts 3, 1 through 10. They had passed this guy, I'm sure, many times during the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. And never did they stop there. And then that one day, Jesus says, I want you to go up to him and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Silver or gold have I none, such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. God gave him a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, a miracle, gift of faith, zapple. Four or five gifts, all at one shot. He purified the church by his Holy Spirit. He slayed Ananias of the fire in Acts 5, 1 through 11 for hypocrisy. Declaring they gave everything to God when they didn't. Do you have to give everything to God? No. They said they did. That's why he struck them dead. <laughs> okay? He gives wisdom and courage to love, even as we see Stephen preaching to those who were stoning him in Acts 6, 10, 51, and 60. He gives courage, strength, love for those who are killing you. He directed Peter to the house of Cornelius in Acts 10. When he saw the vision, he says, Not so, Lord. Contradiction. You can't say Lord and no at the same sentence. He was showing us open the gates of the Gentile. And Peter was to go without asking questions. He called out Barnabas and Saul to do the work of mission field in Acts 13. Separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry which I have called them, the Holy Spirit. He guided Paul and Silas to Philippi by the forbidding them not to preach in Galatia, Bithynia, and directed them through a vision in Acts 16, 6 through 10. He guides his church through the Holy Spirit. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. He empowers us. So this is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, to direct and guide the church, to direct and guide you as an individual, as a member of the church. Thirdly, we have the pattern of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is used for the new birth, regeneration, as a foundational step for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're a candidate for the baptism, it's because you first are born again. You must be born again. No one is baptized with the Holy Spirit who's not born again. It's impossible. Jesus declared to Nicodemus that he must be born again of water and of the Spirit, or he would never see the kingdom of God in John 3, 3 through 5. The disciples at Pentecost were born again. Jesus, remember, had breathed upon them the Holy Spirit. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts. So in John 20, 22, he breathed upon them the Holy Spirit. Then they at Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. No contradiction. The Samaritans were born again. In Acts 8.12. And then we're going to see they were baptized. Okay? The Ephesians were born again in Acts 
19, 1 and 2. So the foundational requirement for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is you must be born again. Foundational. Okay? The Holy Spirit is used then to set the believer apart. So that takes care of regeneration. Now, once you're born again, regenerated, then the Holy Spirit is used to set the believer apart for the life of the Spirit. This is sanctification. The believer is a vessel for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, he is set apart. You have a dog, I presume, at home? I hope you have a sanctified bowl for the dog. No one else eats out of it. Only Fido. Okay? You're a vessel of God. He sets you apart for himself. The believer is sanctified by the Holy Spirit for obedience. And his body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. Even as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will be in you. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2. Sanctified for obedience. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The believer then is given a new mind by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians four twenty three and 24. Paul calls it the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2.16. He says in Philippians, put it on. New believer is given a new heart, circumcised to desire the things and to do the will of God. Romans 2.29, Ephesians 6.6. A new heart of flesh. The old heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17.9. The believer is to walk in the Spirit so as not to fulfill the lust of the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Ephesians 5, 1 and 3. And so, regeneration makes you a candidate for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification comes next, being set apart. And then the Holy Spirit is used to open the believer's understanding. This now is illumination. The believer can see the wisdom of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can see the need of power to enable you to live the life of Christ. We were able to see for the first time that you cannot do it on your own. You must be filled with the Spirit of God. You must be empowered, even as Jesus says, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. Man is blind to the things of God until the Holy Spirit is, reveals it to him in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 on down to 16. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit or accept them. But we who are spiritual judge Scripture with Scripture. We receive the things of the Spirit. We have the mind of Christ. Now we, we can see a two-way street. Before, we only saw a one-way street. Now we see those who are lost and we see those who are saved. We see light, we see darkness. We see right, we see wrong. We see God working, we see Satan working. We see those who love the Lord, those who don't love the Lord. We, we have both eyes working, if you will. Before, we only saw with one, complete darkness. Man is weak in the flesh. Though his spirit is willing, his flesh is weak, Jesus said in Matthew twenty six forty one. And you guys know anything about that? <laughs> Don't ever say, I will never do that. You say, by God's grace, I will never do that. As I depend upon him. 
You put confidence in your flesh, you're going to do a three-point landing. Carry a big salt shaker, you're going to eat a lot of crow. Man needs power from on high by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.5 Man can only be a godly witness by, to Jesus by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as Acts 1.8 says. It's the only way. Now, the Holy Spirit at regeneration and the baptism of the Holy Spirit should not be confused, okay? So the Holy Spirit coming in you at regeneration being born again should not be confused with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're two distinct things. Some have called the baptism the second blessing. But remember, the biblical phrase is not one but many, and I gave them all to you. I don't really care what you call it. As long as you have it. (laughs) That's the most important thing. The Holy Spirit is given and received by every person who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Romans 8, 9, there is no exception. If you've been born again, the Holy Spirit comes in you. Your body is the temple. Okay? So everybody who's born again has received the Holy Spirit. The believer is baptized into the body by this one same Spirit. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, Ephesians 4, 5. You are baptized into the body of Christ because we have the same Holy Spirit. That's what makes us family. Okay? Even if you went to another church, if you're born again, you're my brother. You're my sister. You're baptized into the body of Christ by the same Spirit. This is a true incorporation into the body of Christ, the church. Not water, not anything else. Not you signing a scroll. I am a member. The believer is baptized into water as a public confession of what has happened already in the heart by the Word and the Holy Spirit. So public water baptism is a public confession that you're born again. And symbolically, we put you under, drowning that old man, wrecking him dead, coming up in the newness of spirit. Doesn't make you more born again. Doesn't make you really born again. It's just a public confession. It's like a birth certificate. When you're born, they give you a birth certificate. If you lose a birth certificate, does that mean you were never born? No. Jesus never baptized anybody in water. Do you know that? He did that purposely. John 4, 2 says his his disciples baptized. He never baptized in water once. Because Jesus didn't want to confuse his baptism with the water baptism that John was making. In fact, John distinguished between the two baptisms. In Matthew 3, 11, Luke 3, 16, John 1, 32 and 33, and Acts 1, 5. This is what John the Baptist says. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew 3.31 You can baptize in water. I can baptize in water. But Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Nobody baptizes people in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes people in the Holy Spirit. Okay? And as we move along, we're going to find out how do we do that. You just ask the same way you got saved. By faith. The believer can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at different points in his walk also. So, you're born again, the Spirit of God comes in you. 
But then the baptism of the Holy Spirit for empowerment, that's separate. It can happen at the same time or after the fact. So it can happen at different points. I'm going to give you some illustrations and examples from the scriptures. Because if we teach this, then we should find evidence of it within the scripture. In Acts 8, Acts 8 verse 12 through 17, the Samaritans here believe the word of God, as you know, Philip had preached. And they baptized them in water, but received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when Peter and John were sent and they laid their hands on them. So when Philip preached, they believed the word of God, he baptized them in water, then they heard about it and they sent them down and they, and they, and, and they weren't, they saw they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit, so they baptized them in the Holy Spirit laying hands on them. So they were first born again, then they were water baptized, then they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the, the spirit coming in their body was one, the baptism was second. In between was water baptism with the Samaritans, okay? Then we go to Acts chapter 9, Paul, verse 17 through 18. Saul's conversion was on the road to Damascus, as you know. Then he was filled with the spirit of God at the, inside Damascus as Ananias laid his hand on him and then was water baptized. So with Paul, he's born again in the road. Then he's baptized by the Spirit, and then he's baptized in water. All right? But what is the clear, basic principle that makes them both one? First, they had to be born again, right? Simple. Now, let's go to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 48. The house of Cornelius, by the way, is 12 years after Pentecost. Now, what do the people say that? They say, oh, there was just for the, you know, for the day of Pentecost, the gifts. Really, this is 12 years afterwards. And as Peter was speaking the word of God, the Holy Spirit, here's the other phrase, fell upon them and they were water baptized. So, in the house of Cornelius, they heard the word of God. They were born again and baptized with the Holy Spirit at the same time. Then they were water baptized. So you have the new birth, regeneration, and the baptism at the same time now. So as you can see, there are various ways it can happen. There's no pattern to it, okay? Again, we must say, this is what the scriptures teach. This is what we find. The book of Acts is the only book of church history that we have to see how the Holy Spirit was working in the midst of the church. We have no other book to compare it to. So this is the pattern of the Holy Spirit. Now, fourthly, we see the privilege of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the accompaniment of gifts at times. The believer at Pentecost, who were Jews, received the baptism after being born again. Are we agreed? Acts 2. They were already born again. Then they were baptized, right? They had all believed on Jesus. The eleven had been breathed on by Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and then they were told to receive the Holy Spirit. And they did so in John 20, 22. The word receive, lambano, is an active or volitional, not a passive tense. The statement was not an immediate impartation 
of the Spirit in the form of the baptism of the Spirit, but rather a command to take the Spirit. The verb, we are told, is a command to incisive action. Luke twenty four forty nine, the promise of the Father. That's why he said, Tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. So the giving of the Holy Spirit in Luke is synonymous with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples to wait to be empowered. For what? For service. Act 1-8 is to be empowered for service. We cannot serve the Lord on our own strength and abilities and power. We must be endued with the Spirit's power for service in the body of Jesus Christ. There are many other synonymous names and phrases that we've seen that equally mean the baptism. The promise of the Father, the promise from on high, the AP experience, being filled with the Spirit, all those. Now the book of Acts tells us that being all of one mind, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer in Acts 1, 13 and 14, right? Now, in that text, the Greek indicates an untranslated article, the word the, which is not shown in our Bibles. The text really says, devoting themselves to the prayer in the Greek. What prayer? Could it be the one Jesus told him in Luke's gospel and the one for the baptism in the Spirit? I think so in view of what took place at Pentecost. There can be no other interpretation. They were praying the prayer for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The unidentifiable article is there. It doesn't show up in the English at all. By the way, Mary was one of the 120. Mary was also filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when the 120 were there, they weren't praying to Mary. Mary was praying to Jesus. <laughs> okay, so if you're a Catholic, I don't know what you're going to do about that. Now, the believers at Samaria who were called half-breeds were born again. Acts 1.8, we've established that. They believed the words of Philip in Acts 8.12. And they were baptized in water first. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit after Peter and John came down to Samaria and they laid hands on them. So again, we have to go with the, what the scriptures teach. That that's another possibility. So we don't get into, well, it can, the baptism can only happen at this time. No, the only true requirement and necessary requirement is that you're born again. God could baptize you at the same time you're born again with the Holy Spirit of God. God could baptize you after you're born again. God could baptize you before water baptism or after water baptism, okay? But you and I are to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, have the AP experience as often as we need it. We've already seen that they prayed and they were baptized, filled again. And yet they had been filled and baptized in the day of Pentecost. And so they manifested some visible signs. For Simon the sorcerer there in Samaria, remember, wanted to purchase the gift. Yet no gift is recorded in Acts 8, 18. But he saw something. 
So, here again now we enter. You're born again. You're a candidate for the baptism. It can happen at different intervals. At the same time you're born again or subsequent to salvation. And sometimes, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, gifts are associated with the baptism. There in Acts 8.18, something was manifested, but we're not told what. But Simon says, hey, I want that. How much would it cost me? The Apostle Paul, the persecutor and murderer of Christians, was born again in Acts 9. Ananias was sent by the Lord to lay hands on Paul, as we've seen, and call him a brother in Acts 9, 14 through 16. Ananias laid hands on Paul and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized, filled, Acts 9, 17. And Paul's blindness was removed as scales fell off. A miracle took place. Then he was water baptized. So we have the different order, right? But the first requirement again is born again. Then the house of Cornelius, who were Gentiles, were born again. Acts 10. And they were hearing the word of God and the Holy Spirit fell on them. Acts 10, 44. How dare God, how rude God is. Peter's preaching and he regenerates them and baptizes them at the same time. Peter could say, Lord, I have to do the altar call first. I haven't done my altar call. God doesn't care about the altar call. He sees the heart. They were hearing the word of God. The Spirit fell upon them. And they spoke with tongues and magnified God. Acts 10.46 Now we see the baptism and we see some gifts associated with the baptism. Tongues. In this case. It's only one of the gifts. And then they were water baptized. Acts 10, 48. Now we go to Acts 19. The Ephesian disciples. Who were disciples of John. Who were born again. Some people say, no, they weren't born again. They were believers. Listen to Paul. Acts 19, 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Were they pancakes half done? They were baptized in water for repentance after the baptism of John. Acts 19.3 Then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by Paul in water. Acts 19.5 And then they were baptized in the Holy Spirit as Paul laid his hands on them. And they spoke in tongues. And now even prophecy appears. Acts 19.6 so now we see another gift associated with the baptism. But you can see that the gifts are distinct and separate from the baptism, but often are accompanied together. Do you see that? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all believers then who are born again. The Apostle Peter said it was for all who repented their children, and as many as are far off, as many as the Lord God will call, Acts 2, 38 and 39. No one is excluded who asks Christ in their heart. The Lord Jesus said, it is for all who ask by faith as salvation. 
Luke 11:13, you're familiar with that text. He says, "If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you the gift of the Holy Spirit?" Now, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the baptism there. Because when you're born again, he doesn't say part of your prayer, ask for the Holy Spirit. He comes in automatically. It's the endowment, the empowerment, the baptism. If we ask it, he'll give it to you. If you ask for bread, it's going to give you a stone? No. The baptism can take place by laying on of hands or no hands. Acts 8, 9, and 10, we see hands laid. But there is nothing special about these hands. When we lay hands, it's a simple gesture of faith that God would impart that to you. But there's nothing magical about the hands. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for power and to witness for Jesus, Acts 1, 8. So sometimes we lay hands on people that are baptized. Sometimes we don't lay hands. They're still baptized if they ask, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event then, but repeat it as an experience for empowerment for the life and service of the believer. Acts 2, 4, 4, 8, 31, Ephesians 5, 18. You cannot deny the witness of the scriptures of the repeated times the same individuals were filled, baptized, the appeal experience came upon them. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit can be accompanied by gifts at times. We saw it in Pentecost 2.8. They spoke in dialectus, which really acts 2.8 as a miracle because they spoke in human languages. When you speak in tongues, when we get there, we'll deal with it. They're not human languages. I don't care what anybody tells you. Paul says in Acts 14.1-3, no man understands him, not even himself. Very simple, okay? And so this is the privilege of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The privilege. Now notice five. We have the partner of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit's true evidence is not any one gift then. The fact that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be received by all believers as a command precludes any one gift or gifts as the true evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30 is very clear. The one gift that is taught to be the evidence of the Holy Spirit is more, in most Pentecostal circles as the evidence of baptism is speaking in tongues, which is absolutely unbiblical. I used to go to Assemblies of God and they teach that you must speak in tongues as evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, some will even doubt your salvation if you don't speak in tongues. And yet Paul says in Acts 14, Do all have the gift of teaching? No. Do all have the gift of prophecy? No. Do all have the gift of tongues? No. Then how in the world can you teach that everybody can speak of tongues and should as evidence? It's totally unbiblical. Where do you find the text for it? Nowhere. The baptism of the Holy Spirit can be accompanied by gifts of the Spirit at times, such as tongues and prophecy as we've seen. 
but not always. We've seen in Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness to Jesus in power. Empowerment for service, beginning at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. For every generation, for every person who's a Christian. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not only the empowerment for life and service, but it is to be motivated by the fruit of the Spirit, God's agape love. I used to teach that agape love was the unique evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that's what I learned. But as I began to study more and more, I had to disagree. I was wrong. I'm not wrong now. The baptism is for service. Agape love, the fruit of the Spirit, is the motivation for me doing things. God empowers me to serve. He doesn't reward me for service. He rewards me for the motivation of my service if it's out of agape love. So the service, the empowerment, and the motivation are two distinct things. They're not the same thing. You understand? The baptism empowers me. The fruit of the Spirit enabled me to do it for the right reasons because I love God and I love you. There are a lot of things you can do. If you don't do it out of love for God and people, you do it for love for self, it'll benefit the people, but you will get no reward. They're two distinct things, and you must distinguish them. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, proclaimed this message of salvation to those who had crucified his Lord through God's agape love, able to forgive them and even offer them salvation in Acts 2. Why? Because he was filled with the fruit of the Spirit, agape love. The fruit of the Spirit is singular, not plural. Your English says plural. It's only one fruit, singular, agape love. Everything that follows it is a manifestation of agape love. Paul declared to the Ephesians, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love the distinction of the strength the empowerment and the motivation love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width the length the depth the height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church of Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen Ephesians 3:14 through 21 so we see the empowerment Distinct from the fruit of the Spirit. The empowerment is the enablement. The fruit is the motivation of God's love for doing the thing. God will reward me for why and how I did it. Not, by, not because of how much I've done or what I've done. It's irrelevant to God. So the priority of agape love is distinct from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And is clearly pointed out in the scriptures. Agape love edifies others. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Agape love is the motive for all that is to be done for God. And he recognizes it as the purest motivation. God's love. 
1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Agape love is unfailing. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 through 8. It never fails. I fail. My carnal love fails. My emotional love, phileo, fails. My erosexual love fails. But God's agape love never fails. Put your name in there. You won't get past the first thing. Agape and Jesus is the only thing that can get you through that. No way. Agape love must be the motive behind the exercise of any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit of God. If not, you exercise the gifts to show off. The motivation to manifest the gift, the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy, whatever it may be, should be God's agape love for God to get the glory. That's always the case. Jude commanded all believers to keep themselves in God's agape love. Jude verse 21. Paul declared to the Colossians, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even in proportion as Christ forgave you, so you also must do, not it be nice, but must do, but above all these things, put on Agape love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. It's the belt that holds everything together. You get dressed, you put a nice shirt on, some pants or a skirt, whatever you have on, and then you get a belt and it puts, it holds everything together. Agape love holds everything together. That's what makes it all worthwhile, ladies and gentlemen. This is to be the distinguishing mark of the believer and the church. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have agape love for one another. Gifts without agape love are worthless. They're self-serving. Service and empowerment for service without agape love is an insult to God. But you put them together You have the empowerment. You're born again. And you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowering you. And you have the fruit of the Spirit, agape love. And you have the gifts being operated like that. You've got an incredible potential for God to get the glory. And for the gospel to be powerful in the life of people. This is the partner. Agape love. Distinct from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. An American with an English gentleman was viewing Niagara Falls, the Whirlpool Rapids there. I don't know if you've ever been there. And when he said to this friend, he says, come and I will show you the greatest unused power in the world. And taking him to the foot of Niagara Falls, he said, there, he said, is the greatest unused power in the world. The other individual said, oh, no, my brother, not so. What's the reply? The greatest unused power in the world is the Holy Spirit, the living God. Amen to that, ladies and gentlemen. Does anyone here believe tonight that they do not need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If you're married, oh man, 
If you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're playing football without a helmet. We need it for power to live the Christian life. We need it to be witnesses for Jesus. We need it to be witnesses to the world. We need it to keep our hearts from becoming hard and bitter. No one can do without it. No better put than Zechariah 4.6. Listen carefully. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's the only way. So the Holy Spirit, from these five perspectives, reveal the relationship of the baptism to the gifts. Now we see it plainly. The promise of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the pattern of the Holy Spirit, the privilege of the Holy Spirit, and the pattern of the Holy Spirit. All of them laid out. And yet, the relationship to the gifts, now we can understand them. We've laid the groundwork. The essential you're born again. The empowerment can be subsequent. The baptism, whichever phrase you want to use. And at times there are gifts that are affiliated and associated. But no one gift is the evidence of the baptism. They're distinct. And when you see them in Scripture, then you can accurately be able to communicate that to others as you go through Scripture in context. And you show where those differences are. And you can't teach contrary to it. You must teach according to the Scripture. God has set the rules not us. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for tonight. And Lord, we pray you continue to instruct us and to just minister to our hearts as we look to you over and over again, Lord. And Father, I just pray you continue to just, even right now, as we here are sitting before you, Lord, that Father, that you would baptize us with your Holy Spirit. Those who have never been empowered by your Spirit, that you would fall upon them. Lord, that you would disperse your gifts amongst us and in the midst of us, severally as you will, as we study them through the weeks to come, that we would be able to see your hand upon our life, that you would work in us first and then through us to others, Lord. And so, Father, I just thank you for tonight. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know, The Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. The first and foremost thing before you even consider the baptism is that you be born again. That you see your need of Christ. You see yourself as a sinner. And to say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Make me born again. Give me a brand new heart. If you believe Jesus is God who became man and died for your sins and rose from the dead, then you can ask him to forgive you right now. This is your prayer to Him. It's the prayer of repentance. You can repeat it right where you sit. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. I praise you, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that decision... We want to welcome you to the family. There's a brother to my right. You're left by that door. He would love to talk with you and give you that Bible absolutely free. And just answer any questions you might have.
And those of you who have never been baptized by the Spirit and power, come up, we'll anoint you with oil and pray. Go home, ask Jesus. You ask Him the same way you got saved. And then you receive it by faith and you depend upon Him that He may come upon you to help you live the life of Christ. Let's stand. We'll close in worship. Thank you for coming tonight. And if you have questions or answers, our prayer will be up here. Holy Spirit, you